four-day school week. Wow. How are they getting it done? When, they, when they're not getting it done in five, how are they going to get it done at four? Good morning. It's seven minutes after 10 o'clock. Jennifer Bukowski will be with us at 1035. A guy who uh, murdered a couple of members of his own family and three strangers in prison murdered his cellmate, a pedophile. But not because he was a pedophile. <laughs> uh, we'll get you the details at 1035 and tell you why he killed his cellmate. Uh, in the meantime, Mark says, uh, Gary, if schools are off on Mondays, I'll give you seven guesses to which street protest, what day street protests will happen. Uh, you can send me a message, too. Go to GaryNolan.com. Uh, Roy says, American students do not succeed because of the school system. Should they succeed, but in spite of it, then universally the school takes the credit. Should, yeah, should they uh, be successful, the school system, that's because of what we're doing. Uh, Kyle says, uh, so far as where the money schools uh, get from lottery, property tax, state and federal funding, donations like box tops for education and private donations. Well, have you noticed how fancy the neighborhood football stadiums are with their fancy AstroTurf and other Friday night light uh, lights garb? Yeah, well, I don't think it's all going to the football field. Somebody's pocketing the money. Someone's getting it. I want to know who. Let me go to the phones, 800-529-5572. Mike's on the line. Good morning, Mike. Yeah, Gary, how about if they take, if you take a, you know, when you get your paycheck, pay you in cash, and at the end of the line, pay you your gross pay, and at the end of the line, they got one of them new IRS agents? taking the taxes from you right then. Then people would actually understand what's being taken out of there. I don't think half of them look at your pay stubs. No. I mean, not, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah, because, I mean, it's just, it, I don't think it, it, it doesn't affect them. It's like it's not even there. It's not even, if they got it back, it's pound money, you know? Piss, or, I'm sorry, blow it. That's all I got to say, though. All right, Mike, thank you for the call. Glad to have you at the Gary Nolan Show. Yeah, you... People think they're, whatever their net pay is, that, you know, they're being paid for their work, and, and they're not. If you're, you know, bringing home uh, $4,000 a month, you're probably being paid, you know, a couple of grand more a month that you don't get to see. You, you, never, you never get to see it at all. It's gone before you get your money. And so you think this is your pay. No, you've been ripped off. Every single paycheck. Ken is on in Harrisburg. Good morning, Ken. Hey, good morning, Gary. Hey, you brought up this deal about uh, schools just going to a four-day week instead of a five-day. They still get the same amount of hours. They just go longer each each day on those four days. Uh, I know this for a fact because... Uh, I have two relatives that are teachers. And, well, uh, I want you to imagine that you're. I want you to imagine that you're a twelve-year-old kid, and you're in class for that many hours. Just how, just how really attentive are you going to be at the end of the day? Well, it's not that many more hours per day. It's it's minutes, a few more minutes in each each class. Uh, so the, well, how long the, is the school day? I don't know exactly. So how do you know is, that it's not a lot of hours? I would imagine 
What is it, Brian? Usually eight to three, something like that. I I mean I I'm guessing. Uh, All right, so that would be at least it, it. It should be seven, maybe six hours. Six seven hours. So it's an extra hour a day, at least that they're spending in school, and they're, and they they're not learning as it is. <laughs> All right. You know, the the government says they have to go to so many uh, go to school so many hours uh, a year. And they're doing that in four days instead of five. So uh, I don't see a problem. Everybody seems to like it. That that. Uh, yeah. Well, imagine that, that you're. Imagine you're that twelve, thirteen-year-old kid who's spending another hour every day in the classroom. Just how how much energy are you going to? The whole way we educate kids is wrong. All right, uh, Ken. Thank you. Appreciate it. Glad to have you on the Gary Nolan Show. They're not doing it in five days. And you're you're and if they're making you stay an extra hour or two a day, that just makes the day longer. Uh, kids don't have that that kind of concentration. I, I the model that we're using, which I think is uh, stems from a European model, where we bring these kids into a classroom and we sit them down and then we we give them this information is a really lousy model. That's why homeschooling is so good. Homeschooling, which costs a fraction of government schooling, it's way better because every time you do something with your kids, you're, you're, you have an opportunity to teach them. You go to the butcher and you buy something and you can talk about the math and how you calculate how much it costs and how much per pound it is. Uh, you go to the baker and you get a baker's dozen and you explain that 13th donut and you know how it is they can profit. And it, just everything you do is a moment where you can teach. And kids are like a sponge under those circumstances. I'm not saying it works for every single kid. I know there are exceptions, but most kids do very well with that kind of education. But instead, what do we do? We have institutionalized a model from the 17 and 1800s where we bring them in every morning and we sit them in front of a desk and we lecture them and it, it's... It's not the way it's not the way kids work. And and then when the system is failing us and it is we say well we need more money. So lottery proceeds, federal tax dollars, state tax dollars, real estate tax, personal property tax, all of this money going into that system. If it were money that made the difference, these kids would be coming out. We'd be fielding a, a, a class of geniuses. But we're not. The numbers get worse every year. And they were getting worse even before the COVID shutdown. The, 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 if there was anything that came out of the COVID shutdown that was good, it was that parents got to see what the hell these teachers were doing. Social engineering, 
the the sex talk and it, it's your kids. You brought them into this world. It a shouldn't be my responsibility to pay for it, and b you ought to be upset at what they're doing to them. Because these kids are not going to be able to think on their own. Uh, all right, let me go to the phones. Cheryl is on the line. Cheryl, good morning. Hi, Gary. I um, have grandkids that go to Harrisburg School, and this is their 13th year, I believe. They started when they were in kindergarten with it, and now they're seniors. It was our understanding at the time if our MAP testing scores go down two consecutive years, it's a state law that they have to go back to five-day school days. Well, if you look at schools, in fact, uh, the Show Me Institute has a, a website where they look at uh, school districts and how well they're doing. And these kids aren't doing well. I'm not Anywhere. saying they are or they aren't. I just know it's a state law. If their testing scores go down two consecutive years, they have to go back to the five-day school week or five-day um, school days. Um, it's a law. So it's been, they've been doing fine with it. This is the 13th year, and it was supposed to save money from the hourly uh, wage earners up there, the bus drivers, the cooks, the janitors, uh, the nurses, and so on. So it was supposed to save about 80000 I believe, out of the yearly budget. Um, that's I'm, that's I'm, what I know of the meetings that we had 13 years ago. I'm going to get the, uh, the numbers from Show Me and take a look at this. Okay, because good. I Because they universally uh, are going down everywhere. Oh, I don't disagree that they're not, but I'm just saying it's a state law. They have to go back to five days if the MAP testings decline two consecutive years. All right. Well, let me uh, let me look into what the, okay. what the real results are. Thank you, Cheryl. You're welcome. I appreciate the call. Glad to have you on the Gary Nolan Show. All right. Up against the clock while I do some homework at the Show Me Institute, Gary Nolan Zimmer Radio Network. It is 10-21. Uh, Glad to have you with us. I am uh, trying to narrow this down by uh, school district to see exactly how these kids are doing. Uh, I've, I've not arrived at the uh, the bottom and, you know, right, uh, right down to that school district or any other. Uh, but I'm getting there. ACT, the organization that administers one of the most widely used college entrance exams, Released the scores of uh, for last uh, spring's graduating class. The results are troubling. Scores are down nationally and in Missouri. Uh, as a reminder, this is the class of students who were freshmen when schools closed in 2020 and most likely spent uh, at least part of their sophomore year trying to learn remotely. So I'm, you know, I, I, I've got to get to exactly that district and they have that information. There is a report card at the Show Me Institute. There, in fact, Brian, what we ought to do is um, get somebody on from Show Me on Think Tank Thursday to look at at um, these school districts because the metrics that they use are questionable, and I have um, no faith in them creating their own report card on how they're doing. 
So I will try once again to get this information. I will try to get it out before the program ends. But I'm still uh, doing a search. That three-minute uh, break, which is the <laughs> shortest of the hour, wasn't enough. But they do have a Missouri report card, um, education policy, ESSA requirements, uh, and it's available at the Show Me Institute. And I will, I will dig it up. I, I suspect will. Susan Pendergrass has all that information right at her fingertips. Probably does. Probably does. Um, coming, and I will try to get that to you even before Thursday. I'll try to get it to you today. In the meantime, uh, they're trying to get a, a Speaker of the House. And Jim Jordan appears to have the edge. The rumor is there will be a vote that he will miss and that they'll do another vote. That would be a protest vote. Uh, and then perhaps uh, we'll have a Speaker of the House. We, we have taken uh, several calls today off air wanting to know where Blaine Luke DeMeyer stands on Jim Jordan. And they called his office and they are unwilling to commit. Now, that's just what our listeners told us. I don't know that for a fact. Uh, also, we know for a fact that Ann Wagner is a holdout. Yep. And uh, I believe that is it from Missouri as far as uh, any information on whether or not Jim Jordan will get votes coming out of Missouri. We'll, we'll just have to wait and see. But I'm telling you, it is a, a complete um, failure on the part of the Republicans to stand on principle. If this guy doesn't get it, just because what he's because he thinks Trump's uh, uh, race was stolen. Is it because they think uh, he, he's going to be too fiscally conservative? I, I don't think that's reason. I don't think that's reason to not support the guy. Missouri's been heading toward a, a test score cliff for some time. The pandemic just punched the gas pedal. Uh, Missouri's NAEP scores peaked at about 2009, around the same time that enrollment in public schools peaked. In 09, nearly one-third, 36% of Missouri fourth graders scored at proficient level or higher in reading. Only 41% did in math. Last year, 30% hit the mark in reading. 34% did in math. Eighth grade numbers are similar. Reading scores topped out in 2015 at 36% proficient or higher and have been slowly declining ever since, reaching 28% last year. Eighth grade math scores, which reached a high of 35.5 in 2009, dropped like a rock in one year to 24% of students scoring proficient or higher. Speaking of math, do you happen to know off the top of your head whether or not the school systems are still teaching that common core math, or has that uh, finally been exercised from the school systems? I doubt that it's been exercised, but I don't know for sure. I don't know for sure. But I, I can't imagine them going back to good old-fashioned uh, education. Uh, where, uh, and, and, you know, they, they tell you the way they teach things is it's just so different than it used it to be. It is. It's like, what are you doing? You've seen the Common Core equations and how to determine, you know, simple arithmetic. Yes. It's just crazy. Um, 
All right, I'm narrowing in on this uh, policy study on the schools, and I will go by district if I can. Uh, in the meantime, JR says, I've got the third and fourth grader. I work five days a week. What am I supposed to do with my kids on Friday? Just take the day off or spend the money to pay for daycare in the government? Uh, is the government going to give me the money to pay for that? JR, while I sympathize with you, it is not up to me or any other taxpayer to babysit your kids. That's not why school exists. It isn't to keep them off your hands while you're working. Be nice if you brought home your gross paycheck and you had a, a you know one spouse stay at home. That would make things a lot easier. Marion Education, good morning. Uh, yes. I have a concern with, I think, a lot of the children that are failing in school is this no kid left behind policy that started several years ago. Yeah, that was a Bush initiative, which we call No Kid Gets Ahead. I, yeah, you're right. I, I would like to see that changed again because... Um, there's a lot of kids failing school because of that reason. I feel anyway. Well, I, we've we've had a downward trend for quite a while. And the government doesn't have to, government schools don't have to innovate. They don't have to find, really have to find better ways to do things. Because there's virtually no competition. And so we've stagnated. We're still using methods that we used in the 1800s. And this time we, we got rid of government schools. The original Elementary and Secondary Education Act, which has undergone several name changes, including the No Child Left Behind and current, uh, uh, and the, uh, the current uh, Everyday Student Succeeds, was intended to provide additional funds to schools serving disadvantaged students. How did that work? More money, and it hasn't made a bit of difference. All right. No. Mary, All right, thank you. Thank you. Glad to have you on the Gary Nolan Show. Uh, I got a minute, Luke. Go for it. Yeah, I'll hit a couple things and try and be real quick. I've got an, my ex-wife is a teacher. When o, She was teaching college when Obamacare kicked in. About a year later, they knocked all the adjuncts down to part-time because of the insurance stuff. She picked up a part-time job as a manager at a grocery store. After a few years of that, or several years of that, she said, screw it. And last year she started teaching at a high school, a rural one outside of the Lake of the Ozarks. She hates it. Uh, the, the system, it's just different than college was, even though college is what it is. Uh, uh, she just hates it. She has very little hope for the kids in the system, but she won't quit because she wants hopes to make a difference. But I've got a junior in high school. He is getting ready to start doing online classes because she knows how jacked up the education system is, and you know he's on track to go yeah. to. Uh, well, it, the, the government is not going to do the job uh, efficiently. Thank you, uh, Luke. Glad to have you on the Gary Nolan Show. Uh, sadly, we're out of time. Public education snapshot from Desi. Not an accurate metric. This is the Gary Nolan Show.
10.35 on uh, schools and the scoring. Uh, the Show Me Institute has done a terrific piece on this. And, and it, you know, if you're relying on the schools to tell you that the kids are doing well or better or good or just as good, you got a problem. Missouri has been using the uh, Missouri Assessment Program in grades 3 through 8 since 2001. Show Me Institute says the state has changed the content standards and assessment format almost continuously. So it's difficult to compare scores over time. As of 2017-2018 school year, Missouri had changed the test four times in the prior five years. Including a switch to Common Core, Smarter Balance test in 2015, and then a switch away in 2016. Oh, the kids are doing, uh, you know, uh, if, if they do badly uh, two years in a row, how do you know? Although performance has been basically flat in English language arts uh, for the past decade, MAP scores suggest students did worse in 2014 than better for a few years, followed by a decline in 2018. Similarly, mathematics performance has been essentially flat for fourth graders, with fairly steady decline for eighth graders, yearly fluctuations notwithstanding. The performance is born out of Missouri's NAEP scores in reading, equivalent to English language arts, uh, math performance. So you're, you're comparing pigs and apples year after year. They keep changing the metrics. The bottom line, writes the Show Me Institute, is that despite the fact that nearly every school district in the state is rated as fully accredited by DESE, somewhere between 30 and 50 percent of Missouri students are able to read and do math at grade level, and that's been true consistently since 2009. I rest my case. In the meantime... We've got a, uh, a a guy that is a serial killer. Uh, he killed several people, including family members. And he murdered his cellmate, who's a pedophile. And you're probably thinking, probably because he's a pedophile, we know how they get hated in prison. <laughs> but no, that's not why he killed his cellmate. We're going to find out why from criminal defense attorney Jennifer, Jennifer Bukowski, who is uh, with us this morning and got on board at the nick of time. You're using your smartwatch, aren't you? You're, <laughs> you're setting your smartwatch so you can call it the very last second. I figure you need a little excitement in your life, Gary. What can I say? Yeah, but Brian at his age doesn't. It's, <laughs> it's so unfair to Brian because he gets all panicky. He goes, Jennifer is not cold. <laughs> well, uh, he doesn't want to be cellmates with this guy. I'll tell you that. This Raymond Escobar, uh, he was charged, 52 years old, was charged with killing his cellmate, Juan Villanueva, 53, in September. They found the convicted child rapist dead in his cell, but he just confessed without the view, out of the blue. Uh, he said he killed him, not because he's a child rapist, but because he was a slob. Didn't keep the cell tidy enough for Escobar's standards. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, it, you got to be careful you know, when you're sharing a, a room with someone that doesn't want to share a room with anyone. Yeah, it has killed seven people before. Yeah, so what's one more? 
And they don't have the death penalty in California, so what are they yeah, going to do? Just add another life sentence? the death penalty in Texas by making a deal. He has uh, two life sentences without parole, plus another 124 years for seven murders in California and Texas, but was able to arrange things so that he could do life in California instead of get the death penalty in Texas. So I guess now he doesn't have much of an incentive not to kill his cellmates. Although, you know, you would get solitary confinement and that's particularly miserable. So there is that disincentive. But uh, when you see the story that they're about to, that roommate got, cellmate got killed, you would assume it was the child rape. But no, no. No, (laughs) he was a slob. It was a little more more banal. Yeah. It's what affects him, I guess. Uh, Brian is. He's been just concerned as hell uh, because of the paucity in Royals news, but you actually have brought some to the table. We'll share that a little later in the program. Uh, But Randy Tobler is on vacation, Brian, is that right? He is, Yeah, he was just on our show yesterday. And we're looking for a fill-in host for the afternoon show for the remainder of the week, so we can't locate anybody yet. Well... (laughs) That seems pretty desperate. <laughs> but desperate no, I'm times calls for desperate measures. I guess. I guess I'll. I guess I'll shoot on over there this uh, afternoon and the rest of the week to fill in for Dr. Randy Tobler. It'll be a good time. Yeah, it should be. Well, everybody should know that uh, I found Randy's fill-in just now on the show. <laughs> Randy owes. Uh, he should. He should thank you. Yeah. 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 Uh, so we look forward to that. Four to six o'clock. Cannot go wrong. I've been looking at this Trump uh, gag order, and Jen, I don't know how that stands up. I mean, the guy is running for office. He may engage in some of the debates somewhere down the road. Someone might ask him something about the prosecution and what he can't answer. How do they get away? How can, how can they do that? Yeah, this judge apparently doesn't care that he's running for office. She said that, oh, well, the interest of justice here. Trump's haha, the the concern about him running for office or the First Amendment or our First Amendment, you know, right to vote. I mean, we have a right to vote for whom we decide to. But if one of our candidates has uh, been gagged, how are we going to make an informed decision? The most concerning part of the gag order, uh, they said, oh, it's a limited gag order. No, I mean, that this is how the game is played, Gary. The prosecutor prosecution asked for all this stuff the judge gave them almost everything and then they walk away saying oh they got a limited gag order well they got a pretty broad gag order that includes him being gagged from being able to talk about any potential witness in the january 6th case can you tell me someone who is not a potential witness in the january 6th case that he might be talking about as he runs for president i mean you have one of his one of his competitors mike pence he's certainly in the mix you have all of the people in Congress were there that day, you know, both the House and the Senate were running around. Uh, there's no end of people that are potential witnesses in that case. But now he's specifically, I mean, not even specifically, but he's gagged from being able to talk about any of those people. It's much more broad than the more limited one that was entered in the case where he couldn't talk about the court clerk up in New York or any of the courtroom staff. This one includes potential witnesses, and it's the one that has the broadest fact pattern because it's not the document case. It's not uh, 
the New York business case. This is the case involving every politician in Washington, D.C., basically. I, uh, he's going to challenge this, isn't he? But Trump's going to challenge this. Yeah, but there, that's the thing that, yeah, so he might do a so-called interlocutory appeal, but they're very particular as to what they allow you to appeal before the case is over. This is one of the things, but uh, sometimes the courts, appellate courts are reluctant to get involved until the case is all over. And then you have to be like, here are all the errors that the judge committed during the trial. They don't like to take them up as the proceedings are going on. Although this could be an exception to that, and they will certainly seek an appeal from it. But from like my understanding in the courtroom, this judge was just showing disdain for Trump's attorneys and has already been on the record as being an anti-Trump person. She should have recused herself to begin with. That would have been in the best interest of our country so that people don't lose faith in the judicial process. Can... um can he appeal based on that alone? No, because it, they have discretion about whether or not to recuse themselves, and this judge has chosen not to. Right. That would be something you could bring up at your regular appeal, but it's hard to get to show. Uh, we got a call here from Tim. He's got a question for you, so let me get that in. Uh, Tim, good morning. You're good morning, Gary. Jennifer Bukowski. Hey, Jennifer, I have a question for you about surety bonds and elected officials and other government entities. I'm a retired Missouri State employee who was required for about half of my 32 years to be a notary public and had to have a $25,000 surety bond to be that notary public. My question is, all elected officials, from my understanding, have to have a surety bond. And for reasons of malfeasance, claims can be made by ordinary people no offense, but no offense—not without the necessity of an attorney to assist—to um, file a claim, whether it be a change in their malfeasance behavior or a financial gain uh, or uh, penalty imposed on them for the claimant. Why is it? And I think after a few claims, the surety bond will company will drop you, and if you're not bondable at that point. You can't hold office. I once knew a notary public that lost his bond and couldn't no, could not no longer be a notary because they couldn't get a surety bond company to insure him. Why is that wow. not applicable? How, how badly was he being a notary? If they revoked that. Well, I, after a, I think <laughs> that the, the, after like ten claims, those those surety bonds are like you're you're too much of a liability, and they just dropped him. So I I, I wonder why it is that. You people cannot, and you can please, if this, if this is a flawed theory, let me know. But if if I if I request something from an elected official, like I, I know for a fact that a sheriff of a county has to be bonded, and when he hires his deputies, they fall under his umbrella bond. And if you file enough claims for malfeasance, and it can't be, you know, obviously it can't be um, un- without basis that you, you're filing these claims, but if enough are filed, then the bondable bonding agency will drop that, that person from being bondable, and that sheriff would no longer be able to be sheriff because he has to be bonded in order to be in his office. So I, I'll leave it at that. I'll, I'll listen to your reply online, but um, it's something I think should, 
And if you, I, I'm getting this information in part from bondsforthewind.com, where school boards have been dropped their policy about pornography in their libraries and teaching CRT in the classrooms. There have been successful cases of this happening throughout the country that is obviously not getting any traction in the media. So I'll leave that to you, and I'll, I'll, I hope to spurn, spurn some interest in this topic. All right, Tim, thank you. Well? That, that's an interesting angle. A friend of mine actually owns com. It's a local company, but they handle these types of bonds nationally. And I'm going to ask him for his thoughts on this because I'll confess I'm not familiar with uh, enough with the bonds that public officials have to post to hold office uh, in order to really have an informed opinion on whether this would be impactful. But it sounds like something similar to like what the left is doing uh, to attorney licenses of Republicans. It's just like going after something that could hopefully make them unable. I mean, they want to stop Republican attorneys from being able to practice, but this would be a similar situation. I don't know why they need to have bonds, though. That seems like an odd requirement to me. Like, in our arbitrary, like, for to serve on a school board, you need to have some bond company give you the approval. Like, isn't that up to the voters? Yeah. So that that part of it runs me the wrong way. All right, I'm up against the clock. Evelyn, hang on the line. We're going to try to get to you and everybody else in just a couple of minutes. Jennifer Bukowski, our guest on The Gary Nolan Show, the Zimmer Radio Network. 1053, I, this is just so frustrating. that People just don't get it about government schools. I I had an exchange with uh, JR, and I'll, I'll go over that in a few minutes. But ladies and gentlemen, and I know I'm off track here, but I'll come back to uh, to Jennifer. Schools do not exist so that you can go to work. It's not up to me to pay for your babysitter. That's this. Uh, this guy is apparently uh, having a hard time. He's with a, a shortened uh, school work day, work week, uh, because he's got to go to work. I said it's not up to the government to keep your kids busy while you're at work. That's not why schools exist. They're allegedly there to educate you, or your children, rather. You know, I feel sorry for you, uh, JR, but it's not up to me to pay for your misfortune. I may volunteer to, you may find volunteers to help you, but it's not up to me or your neighbors to fund a system that makes your life better. It's just, it's not what public schools are for. It's not what school is about. All right, I'm back on track. Let me get Evelyn on with Jennifer Bukowski. Evelyn, good morning. Good morning, Brian, Gary, and Jennifer. Thanks for being on this morning. Um, I think Trump's gag order could save his campaign. If he's wise and he'll strategize. <laughs> I hadn't thought of this. Go ahead. It's a great opportunity to present his policies, his goals, his visions for America in the, in the next four years. It's a great opportunity to quit talking about everybody else and focus on how we can go from point A to point Z. You know, how can we can actually uh, get to the destination we want to get to and find the people that are behind that. But tidying up his tweets, quit talking about the competition and giving giving them free press, quit defending yourself, just be productive. So I think it could save him if he will strategize and use his 
abilities to talk were presented well. You know, Jennifer, uh, Evelyn has a, a valid point. If this keeps him on on the topics uh, du jour instead of his criminal uh, case, it, it might okay. compel him to keep his mouth shut. Yeah, that that is a silver lining to it, isn't it? Like, bring up the policies that led to us not being at any wars, you know, while yeah. he was president, to us being energy independent, uh, you know, building a wall, you know, which even Biden has finally seen the wisdom in. That would be refreshing, but, I mean, come on. What they're really trying to do with these gag orders is, and I've been saying this for a long time, they're going to try to lock him up before he even gets convicted for contempt of court. You just watch. Like, this uh, judge is only a- right now threatening home detention, but then she'll be like, I tried home detention and it wasn't enough, so now we have to put you in jail awaiting trial. That's what I'm concerned with. One of these four judges is going to go ahead and do something like that, and that will make the country lose its mind. Evelyn, a brilliant point. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. All right. <laughs> Keep him from, uh, you know, putting his foot in his mouth. Interesting. Uh, 874-9390, the toll-free number is 800-529-5572. If you just turned the radio on, Jennifer Bukowski is with us. By the way, uh, sometime in the next uh, 30 minutes, the House of Representatives will be holding its vote for Speaker of the House. Well, just out of curiosity, Jen, Jim Jordan, what do you think for as Speaker? Would, would you uh, think he'd be a good Speaker? Oh, certainly. I, Jim Jordan's been one of my favorites for a long time. So I think that he's not as establishment as some of the other ones, as big government of a Republican. I mean, any of the Republicans would be better than the other side, but I was really disheartened to see, you know, that eight of them vote with all the Democrats to oust our speaker to begin with. Well, they were uh, standing on principle. They were standing on principle. The speaker was going to accomplish certain things. He was going to uh, do th- certain things. They're supposed to reduce spending and cut, you know, uh, and reduce the size of government. And he wasn't doing it. And so these people stood on principle, and they've been vilified ever since. I I actually admire them. Yeah. Well, I I don't know. I'm going to reserve judgment on them because I think they, you know, we have to be prepared to have our government functioning and all this stuff started going on with Israel and everything else and we were without a functioning house because Gates wanted to get on camera and they didn't really oh, have you, a backup plan and they you still assert, haven't prevailed you, you allege that was why but if the Republicans stood on principle reducing the size of government lowering taxes cutting the, the debt they would have all voted uh, they would have all been you know doing the same they'd have been on the same page quick break right back this is the gary nolan show